0: All right, good afternoon, Parshus Vayetze. So where we last left off the story last week, Yaakov Avinu, after having stolen the brachas from his brother, so his mother uh, comes up with the idea that since Esav uh, wants to kill Yaakov now, so she sends him out to her brother, to Yaakov's uncle Lavan, and he'll stay there for a while, she says, until the anger of your brother um, simmers down a little bit. The Torah said at the very end of last week's parsha, the last couple of psukim that we had in last week's parsha, uh, Padena Aram, that Yaakov listened to the his mother and to his father. His father then also says him, new. It's time to go for you to find uh, uh, some wives for yourselves. And he went to Padena Aram. So at the end of last week's parsha already, the Torah already said that Yaakov left and he went to his uncle Lavan, which is why all of the commentators are, uh, are troubled by the beginning of our parsha. Yaakov mi It's on the screen in front of you for those at home on Zoom. That Yaakov left from Be'er Sheva Vayelech Haran, and he went to Haran. He already left? The Torah told us last week that he already left. So we have the repetition of Yaakov leaving from Be'er Shevon. Vayelech Haran, Rashi very famously notes, it's to highlight that when a tzaddik leaves a city, when a righteous person leaves a city, he makes or leaves a Rosham. He leaves an impact. There's a noticeable difference in the city. When the tzaddik is there, there's a certain grandeur, there's a certain radiance in the city itself. And when Yaakov leaves, all of that goes with him. And the Torah highlights this a second journey. Refersh, as we've been mentioning over the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the writings of Rav Refersh Hirsch. Rav Hirsch sees in this journey something else as well. This is a personal lachlacha. Just like Avram Avinu had to pick up and leave his homeland, Yaakov also, the grandson, has a similar lachlacha. His mother, his father say to him, not, it's not Hashem telling him, it's his mother and his father, you need to leave. Now, what Refersh points out is a very fascinating, there's a fundamental difference, however, in the leaving that Avram had to go through and the leaving that Yaakov goes through. When Avram left, He left with his family, meaning he left his father behind, but he took his wife, he took his entourage with him. They were a party. They went together, they left Haran, and they came to the land of Canaan. When Yaakov leaves, it's Levad, it's alone. He has nothing with him. The sages are going to describe he does not even have any material wealth. He has the staff, the walking staff in his hand, and he otherwise otherwise leaves by himself, completely alone from everything. And Refersh writes, that was not just a happens-to-be that he left alone, but what was critical. He needed to do that. That was part of his journey. For the following reason, he writes, True, Avraham went with, into isolation, but with his household, with his wife, with his entourage. But Yaakov is driven by for, by circumstances and has nothing at all to take with him. The reason, says Rav is because Yaakov's mission is to found a Jewish home. A Jewish home, and for that he takes nothing but himself. What's his goal? Where is he going? He's going to Lavan to find a wife. He ends up coming home, of course, with four. He's going to come home with his 11, soon-to-be 12 children, <coughs> which is the Jewish bias. And in that, what does he take with him? Nothing but his own personality. And this is the fact, the first writes of what is introduced here, and that everything that is going to follow, that Yaakov is going to introduce us to the idea of building the Jewish home. There are first writes about this extensively, and this is the first place where we've really seen him introduce this idea. I want to read one line of his inside, and then we'll talk about, about what he understands this to mean. And that is as follows, that in this sphere in which human souls are planted to blossom, where does a human being grow the most? Where can a human being become what he needs to become? That people will become what, that what they can accomplish? All of that, the greatest and nearest place for finding the revelation of God is in their home. Now, this idea that he says is really pulling Jewish life out of the shul, out of the base of medrash. It's not a place where you go to get spirituality. That, there's such a model out there. It was actually a model. Again, he was very... Uh, the, the issue in the times of, of course, was the Reform Movement, and there was a model of the church and of other aspects of Judaism of, you know, you know where you find God? You find God in the synagogue. You find God in the shul. When you want to go in there, you put your yarmulke on before you go into shul, because that's where you find God. But then when you leave shul, then you, know, you take it off, you put it in your pocket, I'm done with that. I no longer have to deal with it. And what about the home? A home is not a place for God. <coughs> he has a beautiful language reverse. I want to read you his, <coughs> excuse me, his language. He said, the idea that many, he said, unfortunately, this is an incorrect idea. An incorrect idea that a Jew would want to create a home for God in which, in which he can visit. I want to read. Um, here it is. In which he goes, they visit God in his house, but forbid God's entry into their house. That comes to shul, that's where you can be religious. And Refers rails against this idea that actually the central place of where a Jew needs to bring in his spirituality is into his own very home. It's, it's not for someplace else. We, he had a comment that was quoted very commonly, I know by many of my colleagues, we, co- we quoted here as well, in the, in the beginning of Pesach of 2020, right when the pandemic started. We were less than two weeks into the pandemic and it was new and Pesach was alone. And everybody was, what, how, no family? It was crazy, if you remember. I don't wanna go back to that time. That was not a, not a fun time. But Rav had a comment that was dug up and spread around, everybody quoted it, in which he said 120 years before the pandemic, he said, if only I had the power to close up shuls for a number of years and reinstitute the home as the center of Jewish life. Because again, that was, he was fighting an area where, it's, you don't just go to shul for spirituality, you have to bring it into your house. And that was the line that was quoted, like that's what we did. Everybody had to make their, their home into their own shul. That's where we did our Seder, that's where everything was. So he establishes this idea here, with Yaakov leaving with nothing, only he himself is going to establish the home. And he ties this into the prophetic blessing that Noah gives, where Noach exits the Teva and he sets up a new world, and he has the whole incident in which he uh, plants a vineyard and he eventually gets drunk, and then he, he gives certain blessings to his sons. And to his son Yefet, he says, Yaftelokim liyefet, you're going to have beauty. And he says, the first writes, Noach was presenting the idea there's beauty in the world. And there's beauty even to find God in the world. But it's, uh, V'yishkon But where is, where is the essence of that beauty? It dwells in the tent of shame. It dwells in the tent of, of Yaakov, Avinu, of and of the Jewish people. And as much as there's beauty out in the world... But the, the, the truest and purest form of finding Hashem is not out in the world, but is actually within one's own home. One last comment on this point that he makes, there's a very troubling, it's a perplexing Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. The Mishnah says that if a person is walking on the way, he's traveling on the derech, and he's in the middle of learning, and then he sees a beautiful tree, or he sees a beautiful field, and he stops his learning to say, ah, oh, mana'a ilonze, how beautiful is this tree, how beautiful is this field. So the Mishnah says, well, how do we view such a person? He was in the middle of learning, he was walking along, and then he stops to comment on how beautiful things are in the world. So the Mishnah is a very harsh, harsh sentence on such a person. The Mishnah says, harezeh mischayyev b'nafshu. It's like he took his own life into his own hands. He's culpable. How could he stop his learning to make such a comment? Many of the commentators struggle with exactly the meaning. What's the message of the sages? Is it simply just stopping his learning to do anything else? Rav Hirsch, some see that it was only because he was walking on the way, he was in a dangerous place, and he he gave up on what his protection is. Rav Hirsch sees in that statement not just learning, the idea that learning represents personal growth, and he stopped his personal growth to find Hashem out there in the world, where he is. But you missed the whole point. The whole point of finding Hashem out there in the world, the beauty of the world, the culture of the world, the arts of the world, is to bring it back into yourself. If you were actually working on that, that's what you were actually involved in, and then you stopped that to then find Him out there, you, missed, you, you corrupted the entire point of everything. It's all about uh, being involved in the house. Okay, let's move on. What happens is Yaakov heads on his way out. He arrives in the place, well, the place in which the of HaMikdash is eventually going to be built. He sleeps there, he takes all the stones, and he has a dream. Uh, the famous dream of Yaakov, there is a ladder, Mutzav of Artsa, which is set up to- towards the earth, and the head of the ladder points heavenward, and Malachi Elohim, Olim, or Dimbo, and the angels of Hashem are going up and coming back down there. One important comment from a first before we get to the main thing that I, I hope we'll have time to, uh, to discuss, the, the, the imagery of this ladder is, of course, he says, in his world of everything, a sanctifying that which we have down here. We take things that are earthly, and there's a ladder that, so to speak, directs them up towards the heavens. And we take the things that we have, here, we elevate them, and they go straight up. But the other thing that's happening on this ladder is that there are angels of Hashem. Malachai Elohim. Specifically, that name of Hashem, it's, a, it's, an, it's an angel of judgment. It's an angel of... Uh, almost of, of, of harshness that exists here in this world, and they are olim. First they go up and then they come down. They go up and they come down. What's the message of these angels going up and then coming back down? So Rav Hirsch sees in this the following. The idea of a Malach elokim is uh, God's messengers here on earth. There's such a thing of Malachim here in this world whose job is to aid and abet and help us out here in this world. But first they're olim. First they go up. What's the, uh, uh, the message of the fact that they go up first? So he uh, first sees in this, he bases himself on a Gemara Maseches Chulim, that the angel takes a look at us down here. And then they go up to Shemayim to see the parallel image of what we human beings are up in Shemayim. But to see, in Shemayim they see, what we really could be. What our potential would be if it was fulfilled. So they, they meet up with a person down here, Oh, your name is Yaakov? Great. Then he goes up to Shemayim to see, let me go find Yaakov up in Shemayim. He sees Yaakov up in Shemayim and he sees this is the tools the person has been given. These are their characteristics, these are their traits, these are their talents. This is what a Yaakov could have been. Okay, now let me see what Yaakov actually is. Then they come back down to match up the person down here with what they really could or should be up in Shemayim. The language of the Gemara, Mesecha Sekhulen says, O u They go up and ascend and see the picture of the person up in heaven. And then u Mistaklin bidiyukno mata. They then check him out on what's, what he actually looks like down here. And boy they wanted to harm him. Meaning, they found they didn't match up, didn't fit. You know, if we measure ourselves up what well, we could be, most of us, it sounds like the Gemara Saving, even a Yaakov Avinu is going to fall a little bit short. What happens as the Malaf is coming up and coming down and sees Yaakov and sees he's sleeping on the job? Those her first What What's Yaakov doing right now? He's having a dream. He's in the holiest place on earth and he went to sleep as, a, as an indication, so to speak, of this image of what we do in life. We have all of these things to accomplish, all of these abilities, and we're sleeping. We're sleeping through it all. And then, before they can do anything, Vihine Hashem nitzav alav. Hashem appears upon Yaakov. In Rafush's language, he says, Hashem, the Yud and the Hey, the name of Hashem, which is the name of Rachamim, they were malochei elokim. They were angels of the name of Hashem, of judgment. And then Hashem, the name of Rachamim, is the one that appears. And that is in contrast to these particular angels. And as first sees the message is as follows. The angels are messengers and they have to keep the laws of nature where everything is measured and weighed in accordance with what is in front of them right now. The malach, all that the malach sees is what's gone on in the past and what's in front of them right now in the the present. What's here? What, What is in front of me? That's all the malach has. But Hashem has a little bit more than that. Because to them, to the angels, everything and everybody is only what it represents in the moment. It's a very powerful idea. Because we are at best like that Malach. We're actually a little bit worse because we don't actually know everything that went on in the past. All we see is the sliver of what we see in front of us. But even a Malach, who at least has everything that happened in the past and sees what's in front of him, all they have, everything and everybody, again, is only what it represents in that moment. That's all you are. And then Hashem appears. Hashem, the name of the Yodin, the and the who does not have the limitations of only past and present. Hashem who has the eyes to see and know the future and recognizes in every present person, I recognize in what I see now, I recognize the future person as well. And sees if there is any seedling, any spark of purity can keep and fan and develop that seed. And that's the imagery that we have, the Malachim who only see Yaakov for what he is right now, but when Hashem comes, Shem sees and fans the flame of what the person can be. This is the message of all of education. As we see ourselves, when we, when we ourselves see children, grandchildren, students, members of the community, it's, it's not just tempting. We, our, our natural inclination is we see what we see in front of us. We know what's gone on in the past, we see what's in front of us, and that's our judgment. That's how we, we, we view the person for all that they are in front of us right now. Shema's the ability to see, and this is really what a great educator doesn't just see what's in front of them now. An educator sees what this person will become, can become, and plants that seed, waters that seed, nurtures that seed, not just for what is, but also what has the ability to have. And that's the message, again, that we first sees in this imagery of the dream and a ladder and angels going up and going down. And then Hashem appearing is to convey this particular message. In any case, moving forward, when Hashem appears, He gives him a blessing. He gives him a blessing that He's going to protect him. For those of you on Zoom, let me just get back up to where we are. Here we are, Apostle Giyadalad. For those of you on Zoom, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. They will spread out all the different directions. Everyone will bless themselves with you. I will protect you. I will return you to this land. I will not abandon you until I have done all that I have committed to do. Yaakov wakes up. Let us move forward. Yaakov wakes up on the top of your page. Apostle Tezayin 16. Va'ikatz Yaakov I didn't realize the sanctity of the place where I am. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place. This is the house of Hashem. And this indeed is the gate of heaven. First points out, what's he afraid of? The Torah doesn't exactly say exactly what he was afraid of. Refers says he was afraid of nothing else other than the consciousness the consciousness of this new idea and the demands that it has, that mankind, human, frail mankind, who is born of human being, who will die, who needs to eat to survive, who needs to sleep to survive. This frail human being is the bearer of God's presence in this earth is an overwhelming responsibility. And when Yaakov hears this, is uh, simply overwhelmed uh, with that. What does he do when he wakes up in the morning? Pasuk 18, Yudches, he takes the stone, and he makes it into a matzeva, a memorial stone, and he places oil on it, and then he makes a neder. Before we get to the neder, which is what I want to get to, in one more comment from Refersh, one more comment, the, a matseva, there are two types of altars that were built. The Avos, Avro Yitzhak, and Yaakov would build a Matzeva, like we just have here, for example. When the Torah is going to be given, the Torah is going to forbid a matseva. You're not allowed to offer anything on a Matzeva, only on a Mizbeach. What's the difference between a matseva and a Mizbeach, one which was originally permitted and then it becomes forbidden? So the difference is in how it's constructed. A Matzeva, which is what Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov made, were a simple stone. They were natural stones, and you took the entire stone and used that as your altar. A Mizbeach was something that needed to be built, something that needed to be constructed. And in that, says refers, is the difference that a Matzeva was originally permitted, that which was just a single slab of stone, which was a natural stone, that represents a human being taking the gifts that Hashem gives us and and giving it back, so to speak, and saying, thank you for this. I took a natural stone. I didn't touch it. I didn't do anything with it other than I took it, I consecrated it, and I used it as my altar. That represents the goodness um, that Hashem has given to mankind. When the Torah is given, there's a whole new relationship, a new dynamic that exists between man and between God. Once the Torah is given, then it's no longer just that which man receives from him that we need to take and say thank you, but man is now measured not by his ability to say thank you for what he receives, but what man is able to do with the gifts that he gets from Hashem. It's not God's gifts that we just give back, but it's man's deeds with the gifts that we were given that we glorify Hashem. And therefore... Therefore, we switch from a matzeva, which is just simply taking the stones that Hashem gave us and saying, thank you for these. Now we have to take bricks and build something and say, look at what I did with the tools that you gave me. I mentioned uh, last night, we quoted this, Minchamar, there's a, uh, a Gemara, the passage in the Gemara says that there was a certain, uh, I believe it was a, one of the Romans question one of the sages of the Talmud and says, what's this idea of bris that you Jews do? Why, why would you have such a, a commandment? Um, if God wanted you created that way, he would have created you that way. The fact that he created you in one way, why are you, so to speak, desecrating, mutilating, leave it as it is. Why do you think you know better than God? So the Gemara says, it was, uh, he responded to him, he said, well, you tell me, what would you prefer to eat for, for breakfast or for lunch or for dinner? Uh, cooked g- uh, wheat, like wheat kernels? Or would you prefer fresh bread? He says, I'm sure fresh bread is much better. So he says, I know, that's exactly the point. God gave us the grain. We then take the grain. To eat it as grain is, you know, all right, it's basically animal fodder. Take the grain and then you grind it into uh, wheat, make it into dough, you bake your dough, and ah, now you've got something delicious. And that is symbolic of everything that we do in this earth. We take the tools and the raw material that Hashem has given us, and we make it into something. Not to say that we know better than God. That's how Hashem created the world. To so here's what I've given you, do something with it. And Brismila is symbolic of that and uh, many other things as well. The we first sees that in the shift from the matzeva that Yaakov here makes, which is taking the tools that are But then when the Torah is given, now that we have the Torah to help us, now no longer matzeva. You can't just take the rat the natural material and just say here this is it. No no, no no no. Now you need to build something. That's the symbolism of that. In any case, as Yaakov creates this matzeva, he anoints it with oil and then he makes a neder. Let's take a look at the vow that Yaakov uh, offers at this point. Vayidar Yaakov neder leimor, Pasuk verse 20. Let me get that here in the top of your screen for those of you at home. Yaakov neder laymor. Yaakov takes a vow. Before I even say, i make one more comment from her first. She missed, it's kind of like you could, you could it's un, unending, just the amount of comment. A neder is generally viewed in the eyes of halacha as something bad meaning Shlomo HaMelech rails against it in Sefer Mishlei. The Torah itself says, you're allowed to take a nedr, you're allowed to take a vow, but be very careful to fulfill it. Better never to have taken a vow than to take a vow and not to fulfill it. Why is it that there's such a negative attitude on the idea of a vow? And then why here does Yaakov in fact do so if in generally we don't like to, to take, nows, take vows? So if her says, very interesting uh, approach. At any given moment, what's a Jew's responsibility? So his responsibility is whatever's going on in that moment, to do that which is right and stay away from that which is wrong based on whatever circumstances he's in. That, the circumstances might change what a person's in, as they always do from month to month, from year to year, certainly. But you're always, we're always required to do that which is right and stay away from that which is wrong. So for a person to take a neder and say, okay, I now hereby vow to do that which is right. You're anyway always responsible for doing that which is right and staying away from that which is wrong. The only thing that you're doing with your vow, meaning what is good and right and our duty in any coming moment, we'll have to do in any case, without any preliminary special vowing. A year from now, whatever I need to be doing right, I need to be doing. The only thing that the vow does... It's a little bit, if it's for good or bad things, it's completely superfluous. The only indifferent matters remain, meaning you can take a vow to do something which is not really required, because if you if it's required of you, you'd have to do it anyway. And the only thing that it's really addressing is some future moment. And in that and the idea of saying something now that you either will or will not do in the future, he says, in that is the sinfulness of the neder. It requires quite a deal to see really exactly in any present moment what really the value is. But to then say something for another future time... The only thing that really matters is the time that we are now, why are we adding things into the future which we have no idea really what's going to come anyway. Only in extraordinary cases, like here, where we're not trying to anticipate the future, but on the contrary, the present moment is the foundation of something we wanna build upon, that's where we take a nether. So this nether of Yaakov, which is this massive moment of the dream, he's leaving his home, Hashem appears to him, when you have a moment that will serve as a springboard, that's when we have a justification of taking a nether. But just in general, to try to predict what's going to be in the future, what our behavior should be in the future, we generally try to shy away from that. In any case, back to the nether. What does he actually say? What's his vow? So his vow is, if Hashem will be with me, and let's take note as we go through, as we first will do, which name of Hashem does he use when he says, If Hashem will be with me, the name Elohim, the name of judgment. If Elohim will be with me, and will guard me and protect me, then and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, and I return home, and I return home, then Hashem will be for me an Elohim. Hashem will be for me as a god. This stone will become the base Elohim, and I will certainly tithe the asera asren, or everything that you've given me. Going back over that in basic English, what did he basically say? If you will protect me, if you will bring me back home here safely, and give me food to eat, bread to eat, and, excuse me, and clothing to wear, then I will make this into a house of Hashem and I will certainly tithe, I will give back to you, my sir, on everything that you have given to me. That's the neder that Yaakov takes. There's much discussion exactly on the meaning of this particular neder. I want to focus for two minutes on the language that Yaakov says. Two things. Number one, if you will do all of these things, including giving me bread and clothing, then haya Hashem li lelokim, then you Hashem, the name of Rachamim Hashem, will be for me as a god. So two comments, one from Rav Hirsch and one from I'm a Rosh of Rav, uh, Rav What What's the idea that Yaakov points out, I need bread and clothing? Those are the two things that I need, if you'll give me bread and you'll give me clothing. These are the two most basic staples. And uh, what's the big deal of that's what Yaakov says? If you'll only do that for me, then I will certainly make this into a base Hashem. I will give you everything that I have. So of Hirsch sees in the bread and clothing these basic necessities of mankind. What's Yaakov doing right now? He's leaving his father's home and he's heading out into exile. And he's heading out into his uncle Lavan, who he probably had heard, had some inkling of what Lavan was like. And what's he going to do while he's there? He's going out to work. This is the prototype example of a guy leaving yeshiva and he's heading out into, into the world around him. And Yaakov is concerned. Yaakov is concerned that he said, listen, while I was growing up in my father's home, surrounded by a Rivka for a mother and a Yitzhak as a father, and I was able to become an Ishtam Yoshev Ohalim, a man, a wholesome man, who dwelt in the tents. I sat, I learned, I grew, I was spiritually engaged. That's all great. But now, Hashem, he says... I'm on my way out. I'm on my way out of the land. I'm heading to my uncle Lavan. i got to go to work. I'm going to be tending to the flock. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I should be able to still maintain that same level of righteousness, the same level of spirituality that I'm on. And I shouldn't have to give any of that up while attaining the bread and clothing that I need. As we first writes, the great downfall of so much of mankind is... In the pursuit of livelihood, all the rules go out the window. Just like he was saying before, we said, the home is the center. It's not like you go to shul to get spirituality and you you go visit God there, but don't let him into your home. The same is true when you go to work. You can't leave your spirituality, even if you succeed at home and you succeed at shul. But work, ah, there, there's no God at work. There, I got to make a living. No. It's got to be the same way. And Yaakov was afraid that I should still be able to have that same level while uh, doing that. In Refersh's language, who can count the number of men who before they had to tread the path of earning their daily bread were morally pure, they were honest, and then all of a sudden to gain a livelihood and to attain a position in their civic life, all of the sudden deny God, give up their moral morality, have no consideration for their neighbours honor. Everything falls apart. And therefore Yaakov here says, as he wanders forth to find for himself a wife and parnassa and bread. He's so deeply conscious of this danger that he prays, if you'll only give me my bread and my clothing, not meaning that's all that I need, meaning that I should be able to get bread and clothing and still be able to maintain this level. V'hayah Hashem, Hashem li leilokim, and Hashem should be for me as a God. Refresh picks up on this as well. V'hayah Hashem is the the name of Hashem of, of love, of love, of kindness, should be for me as an elokim, a God of justice. And this is our struggle, he says, says Rav That the God who showers all of his love on me should be in my mind not only the one who gives, but who demands also should be an Elohim. Meaning that he wants me to know that with all that he gives me, that his demands, his will is furthered. That every penny that I make is then spent Correctly, Everything that I gain, V'hayah Shem, you show me so much kindness and bestow so much blessings upon me, should be an Elohim who then demands of me that the blessings that I just gave you are dealt with appropriately. And that is, that's that's the, the struggle that we have in the, the, the dual issue of we ask for blessings, but we recognize that in the blessings that we ask for, they come with major responsibilities, which he sees in this language of V'hayah Shem, Li, Le uh, just to conclude, I want to share one last thought. It's not such a short thought. I'm going to try to do it quickly. Uh, I mentioned this a, a week ago in a share, so if, if those of you were there, well, this will just be a quick review. This idea of Yaakov asking for a little bit of bread and a little bit of clothing is actually the source of a very uh, major philosophical discussion. The, the Medrash uh, quotes that there was a ger, a convert. A ger tzedek, Ankylos Ager was his name. And he was very troubled that when he learned Sefer Dvarim, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu commands the Jewish people to, uh, to take care of the ger, to take care of the converts, and to treat him appropriately. And Moshe says, and you should know that Hashem is Ohe Vesager. Hashem himself loves the ger, and therefore you better be very careful not to mistreat him. And what's the way that Moshe describes the great love that Hashem has for the ger? Ohe Vesager, la lo lechem V'simla. Hashem loves the convert to give him bread and to give him clothing. So Akilus HaGer reads this passage and it starts off great, Hashem has a great love for the gear. he's going to take care of him, and then he says, and what's the great love? He loves the gear to give him a million dollars. He loves the gear to give him a big house. He loves the gear to give him great health. He doesn't need any of that. He loves the gear and he gives him a little bit of bread and a little bit of clothing. Those are the most basic things. If I didn't have that, I have nothing. He says, that's the big, that's the grace of gedilla, that Hashem loves the gear to give me a little bit of bread and a little bit of clothing. Kilis Agar was distraught that that's all the Torah has to say about the great love that Hashem has for the Ger. So he came before his Rebbe, he came before Rebbe Eliezer, and Rebbe Eliezer said, you think it's such a big deal to get, that's not a big deal to get bread and, and uh, clothing? Yaakov Avinu, our own forefather Yaakov, the only thing he asks for Hashem is, when I, give me a little bit of bread and water, why are you making fun of bread and clothing? It's a, it is a big deal, that's all Yaakov wanted. And he sent him home, like, why don't uh, disparage the bread and clothing? Yaakov also, that's all he wanted. That's all he asked for. Him. But he wasn't satisfied, Akylos, the Medjah says. Okay, good. I, so I don't understand Yaakov either. What's the big deal? So he comes before Rabbi Yeshua, and Rabbi Yeshua begins to appease him with words, and he starts darshaning. You should just know that when the Torah says bread, bread is symbolic of something much bigger than bread. Lechem zu Torah actually refers to the gift that you'll have of Toda. And Simla, clothing, it's not just clothing, it refers to a talis. it refers to the clothing of the Kohen Gadol, the bread refers to the lechem it, It's it's symbolic of much bigger things. Oh, felt much better, says, uh, says the Medrash. So the Rosh Hashivah of Chaim Ya'chuv was just tr- trouble trying to understand this particular Medrash and the meaning of bread and clothing, and he understood he understood this: uh, the blessing of bread and clothing is not just symbolic of meaning something else and not just like Rav understood that it's, it's the activities that I'm involved in while I need my bread and I need, I'm, I'm out there working. The bread and the clothing, the symbolism of that is in the way that it's given to you. And he understood that's hinted at in last week's Show when Yaakov gets the bracha dressed up as Esav. He comes into his father, he has the, the food prepared from his mother, and the blessing that he actually receives, the words of the blessing that Yaakov receives is, uh, has to deal with the, the, the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth. And the passage reads as follows, elokim. may Hashem give to you Mital from the dew of heaven, umishmane and from the fat of the earth. Hashem should give you these things. And Rav Goldoth was troubled that when Esav then comes in a few minutes later and says, Abba, Where's my bracha? And Yitzchak says, I gave it away already. And they figure out it was Yaakov. And Esav is crying. And he's so distraught. And he says, do you have nothing left for me? So Yitzchak says, fine, I have another bracha I can give you. And he sounds like he's giving him the exact same bracha. He says, from the fat of the earth should be your dwelling. And from the dew they have heaven above. Sounds like the same thing. The fat of the earth, the dew of the heaven, the same thing. Except there's one major difference. There's one major difference, Rev Goldberg pointed out, when Yaakov gets the bracha, Yitzchak says the words, May God give you from the fat of the earth and the dew of the heaven. To Esav, Yitzchak simply says, your dwelling should be amongst the fat of the earth and the dew of heaven. Where did it come from? He doesn't say. He just says, you should have good dwellings, you should have blessings, you should have prosperity. But not that it comes directly from Hashem. And in that... And that, the Rosh Shiva understood, is the great blessing. You know, we have the opportunity to do kindness to many people, to deliver certain things. The difference is in how do we deliver our acts of kindness. And there are many different ways of, of doing so. The example that I gave is if uh, somebody moves into town, and uh, the rabbi comes over and says, can you give, send a meal over for Shabbos? They just moved in, they're unpacking, they don't know anything. Else. Sure, I'd love to deliver a meal. So one way to deliver the meal is you, you prepare the meal, you cook for Shabbos, you go over together... Uh, with your family an Arab Shabbos, you knock on their door, you deliver the food, welcome, shalom aleichem, who are you? My name is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, this is my family, my kids, welcome, and you, you be, you're, there's a relationship. There's that You begin, I'm delivering something. It's not a, a, a nebuch, I, I, I want to welcome you into the community. Lovely. There's another way to do so, which is on uh, Arab Shabbos to call up one of the late, local uh, caterers or restaurants and order a meal, and have them deliver it by uh, Uber Eats. And so the new family that moves in on Erev Shabbos, they get a knock on the door from a total stranger who says, here's a package of food and there's a little card, welcome to the neighborhood. I also could have gone to the store to buy food. this is, I don't even know who sent it. There's no relationship. It's just, here it is. Those are fundamentally different ways of taking care of people. The greatest curse that the Nachash, the original snake is given when, the, when Hashem meets out all the punishments, so to the snake, Hashem says, you'll eat from the dust of the earth. So that's a curse. Most people worry about their parnasa their whole lives. If you would tell a person when they were 20, you will never have to worry about parnasa. Wherever you go, you'll have what to eat. They wouldn't think that's a blessing. Why is this a curse to the snake that wherever he goes, Afar Haaretz, he'll be able to eat from the dust of the earth. So all the Mafarashim point out, because where's it coming from? It's everywhere. It's as if Hashem said, you don't need to dive in me to me, you don't need to ask me, we don't need to have any relationship. There it is. Whatever you need, wherever you'll be, you'll have what to eat, leave me alone. And that sense of just go, you, you have what you need, I don't need to see you, I don't want to be involved, is a terrible curse. It's the exact opposite of the way the mud used to fall in the desert. When the mud fell in the desert, it fell how often? Every single morning. So the Gemara asks, the students ask their dad, like, well, every morning, wouldn't it be better to fall once, a, every morning they have to go out and call? Wouldn't it be better once a week or even once a year? To Which he said, yeah, that would be nice, but just like a king who gives his son, the prince uh, stipend, if he gave it to him once a year, how often would the prince see his father? Once a year. So the, so the king gives it to him every day, that way you have to come in and every day you have to come in and say, uh, say hello. So there's giving bread and clothing and there's giving bread and clothing. One way is just, here you have what you need, go away. And one is, it's all about the relationship. So when uh, Yaakov Avinu says, all I want is venasam lechem give me a little bit of bread and a little bit of clothing, it's in the nature of the bracha that he received, v'yitein l'cho elokim, that it should come from you. That's all I ask. I should ask that my sustenance, my support comes directly from you, Hashem, and that's all that I want. And that's uh, Hashem's love for the ger. Hashem directly gives the ger. There's no greater love that can be displayed to, the, to a convert other than the fact that Hashem loves him in such a way. And that is really the, be- the beautiful blessing of how we take care of others. It's about a relationship, not just the needs, which we all have, but it's in the way that we are able to take care of that. That is the neder that Yaakov uh, offers on his way out of Eretz Yisrael. Rest of the parsha, of course, we didn't get to at all, where he, he works for a loved one. He marries Rachel, he marries Leah, he has a lot of children. A lot happens in this parsha, which we didn't get to at all, but this is from the beginning of the parsha on his journey out and the, the neder that he took as he uh, heads out into exile. And Yaakov is the, the forefather of exile, uh, who we have what to learn from as he uh, embarks on exile before he's able to return in next week's parsha. All right, look forward to learning again next week. See you all then.